Pop with Ken Mills with author Nancy A. Collins. That's me. Welcome back to Pop with Ken Mills, your pop culture podcast. Today we have a very exciting show. Happy Halloween. Tis the season, right? And the leaves are changing colors and the air is getting crisp. It's that time of year and we hope that all of your tricks are treats and that you treat yourself to something good and yummy. Today we are going to be joined by author Nancy A. Collins who's done so much stuff and you'll hear all about what she does. But today we're going to talk about Swamp Thing. That's right. The DC comic book character who's been in movies, had his own TV show, a member of Justice League Dark, and he just keeps growing, which is good because he is a earth elemental. He is a creature of the swamp and man at the same time. I was recently asked to be part of a very cool project, something called Music from Carver's Corner, Carving Up a Storm by Andrew Doss. And He's put together this team of musicians and friends and people that have made this really cool Halloween-themed album. This is kind of our homage to the albums that we kind of grew up with, like the Disney album that had the Haunted House sounds on it and stuff like that. While it's not as elaborate as those things, each song on the album has a specific Halloween-type thing from Pumpkins of Plenty to The Skull to Carving Up a Storm, which is about a gentleman who has this magical power of carving that he can show people their future and what happens when he sees his own future. Ooh, scary stuff. Well, I was asked to lend my voice to the album, so check it out. You can find this for purchase at Amazon. You can find it at Bandcamp. You can also listen for free on YouTube, Spotify, and Bandcamp. So check it out. Music from Carver's Corner with Andrew Doss and me. I'm on there. I'm the guy that does most of the voices. So I will be playing some samples of the music throughout this episode. But it's just to add some elemental themes of the holiday to our discussion with Nancy A. Collins. Hope you enjoy it. So without further ado or further ado, Let's get on with our discussion with Nancy A. Collins to talk about Swamp Thing, comics, and more. Sight. 
line, there was sawdust on the floor. You could see the terror in his face as he was running for the door. Then a thunder strike came down from the sky and the logs were split in two. And you could hear him yelling all through the woods, something's coming after you. Today, I am thrilled to have someone I really respect, and an author whose work I have dug, and I'm just going to introduce you, Nancy A. Collins. Welcome to POP. Well, thank you for having me, Ken. I appreciate the offer to be on your show. I'm so glad you are here. You first came into my view with your work on Swamp Thing. Yes, that which was, which was a ways ago. Yeah, that was back in the '90s, and yeah, uh, for people who don't know, you're a you're a horror writer. I have a bit of a blurb here. Uh, Nancy A. Collins is the award-winning author of numerous urban fantasy, multi-genre, and southern gothic tales. She has authored more than 15 novels and numerous short stories. She has served as a writer for DC Comics for for DC Comics Swamp Thing for two years. She is a recipient of the HWA Stoker Awards and mm-hmm. a British Fantasy Society Award. You've been nominated for an Eisner, yes, a John Campbell Memorial, World Fantasy and International Horror Guild Awards. You are best known for your groundbreaking vampire character, Sonia Blue, and your works include Sunglasses After Dark, your Southern Gothic collection, Knuckles and Tales, and the Vamp series for young adults. And it's just looking at, I mean, if, if we were to take just the comic book work that you've done, right? I'm just going to yeah. do a couple bullet points here. We Swamp Thing from 91 to 93, Jason versus Leatherface. Yeah. <laughs> Predator, Hell Comes A-Walkin', Vampirilla, Fantastic Four, Vamps, Sunglasses After Dark, Army of Darkness. And now your work with Swamp Thing is being collected. It's been collected. Yes, in the omnibus, the Nancy A. Collins omnibus, which so it's official now. It's uh, you can yeah, you can tap yeah. on it and everything. So oh yeah, yeah you can kill a man with it. <laughs> it is it is a huge huge book, and uh, so glad to have this finally out. It is fantastic, and you and I have something in common, and that we have both lived in Arkansas. Yeah, I was born in, I was born and raised in Arkansas until. Uh, I was in you know, early twenties, and then I left the nest. So, but yeah, I was Arkansas born and bred. Well, what was so weird about it is you called me when we were first getting to know one another, and it turns out I live in a town that you know too well. You went to college here. I'm currently living in the town that you went to college to, and yeah, in Jonesboro. 
and you told me that you base a lot of the things in your writings around this area, right? Around uh, Arkansas. And- yeah, uh, all my, nearly all my Southern Gothic st- uh, stories are set in Arkansas or in um, uh, the very deep south where I'm from, um, or where my uh, or my or either that or they're set in Kentucky where my grandmother's family was from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, Texas, Kentucky, and Arkansas—that that tends to be a <laughs> the triumvirate there. And it really is a really rich breeding ground for some great stuff in horror. I mean, if you take a look at everything from Alan Moore's original run on Swamp Thing, he kind of mined these same veins. And then you take a look at something like True Blood on you know HBO and all that. And it's yeah, the South is alive with vampires. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, it, it's a uh, the Southern Gothic has uh, has has its very deep roots. You know, if if something you know, it's not hard to believe that something god awful is going to happen you know, when you're surrounded by swamps and uh, <laughs> and ghosts of the past. And the ghosts of the past, the past, you know, unfortunately, yeah, the past is 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 very tangible, ever present. Especially in the in rural areas, so you know where the you know it's like where I grew up in Arkansas. It's like the you know the, the depression came, and it wasn't that different from before the depression. And then after the depression left, it wasn't any different than it was during the depression. Mm-hmm. So it, it it was just you know it's always been a place where you know people had to work hard just to get by. So uh, white and black. You know, it, it's kind of like a, kind of a forgotten backwater. Uh, I, I grew up on the Mississippi River Delta. Mm-hmm. And people tend to think of Arkansas largely in terms of the Ozarks, uh, the mountains, because that's where people go to vacation. But uh, no, <laughs> I was down in the Bayou Country, uh, swamplands uh, along the River Delta. Uh, it's all, as flat as a pancake, you know, it's farms, you know, you know like where you grow rice and cotton mm-hmm. hot as a hot as a griddle um uh you know eight months out of the year and uh full of full of mosquitoes and water moccasins and things that go bump in the night too, and things right? that go bump in the night yeah yeah very much so it's weird because i think that in order to really understand this area you kind of probably have to get away from it right yeah yeah when I was growing up, Memphis, Arkansas, Nashville, all these things around this area, you know, I'm such a huge music fan Yeah. that like uh, you'd hear, you know, whether it was Chuck Berry's, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, or uh, like I remember reading stories about the Pretenders and the Clash when they would drive anywhere near Memphis, they would like have the bus driver stop and they'd just get out and like, we're in Memphis, you know? <laughs> yeah, they go, go to Sun Records, they go to Graceland. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I lived in Memphis for uh, a couple of years. But it's weird because when I came here and I'm like, well, I talked to the people around that grew up down here, they don't think anything of living in the place that Johnny Cash roamed and all these things, all these legends that are in the soil, you know? No. Just like people in New York don't think anything about, you know, all the all the people who've been in and made things in New York. It's just, that's just where they live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you get used to it. You're inured to it. And um, 
but no, I uh, I lived in Memphis and uh, for a couple of years, and I was actually had friends in the music industry there. Uh, a lot of them uh, uh, briefly dated Alex Chilton, uh, the box ops, and um, Big Star. Oh wow! I met Alex right after he had done uh, produced the Cramps album, uh, Songs the Lord Taught Us. Yes. And he was playing in a punkabilly band called uh, Tav Falco's Panther Burns. Tav's still touring. He lives in Europe now. Uh, I saw him last year. Uh, I think he lives in Vienna or something. But yeah, they, they, they were doing kind of like the punkabilly stuff, you know, in the early 80s. This was like 81. And that was, you know, that was a different time. Uh, but yeah, I knew Alex. And, you know, one night we, uh, we went out to see Iggy Pop at a... Um, venue there in um, Memphis that no longer exists called Pogo's. That was an interesting night. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it was a different time. You know, it was when, uh, I, and that's when I got kind of caught up in the, in the punk underground uh, music group, you know, kind of uh, lifestyle. And I, but before that point, I'd just been a geeky science fiction fan, a comic book fan. And then I kind of got sucked into into rock and roll as well, and, and that's kind of like been uh, combining both of those influences throughout my creative career <laughs> ever since then. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's led you to some amazing places, right? Oh, yeah, I've lived all over this country. Oh, I mean more so in your career. Oh, yeah, true, that too. Yeah. Mm. Nancy, would you tell me how you first bumped into Swamp Thing? I was a fan of Swamp Thing from when it, you know, like, I guess maybe the, it was like the third issue, the fourth issue, uh, whichever one has the werewolf in it mm. uh, that Bernie Wrightson drew. And because uh, I, I, I was a big, I was a horror movie fan and a, and a horror and a monster fan as much as I was um, a comic book fan. In fact, I was probably a horror movie fan first uh, when I was a kid. And uh, and at that time, there weren't any comic book stores. I mean, certainly not in rural Arkansas. Everything I got in terms, I was able to lay my hands on in terms of comics came off of newsstands at the, mm-hmm. at the drugstore or at the grocery store or, you know, or maybe at, down at, um, if, you know, maybe if I could sneak in the, the pool hall um, and, or, or if I went somewhere with my with my dad he took her took me to a bigger town i could get a wider selection of stuff but basically my lifeline was at the gr- drugstores and grocery store comic book spinner racks yeah the spinner racks those were wonderful things oh yeah and i was always a, a wolfman fan from when i was a kid and but i never really liked the way the wolfman looked because the wolfman always looked like a, a at least the lon cheney one looked kind of looked like a slightly overweight man um in a in a furry suit he just needed to shave yeah yeah he just needed to <laughs> shave and and what always got me is like he's turned into a wolf but his shirt's still tucked into his pants well he was a neat werewolf yeah he's a neat he was werewolf. Uh, he's kind of the, like the one written about by warren zevon and werewolf a, of london yeah i'm a wolf man yeah <laughs> and when i picked up that issue of swamp thing that uh written by lynn wine and uh, illustrated by Bernie Wrightson, had a wolf, a werewolf unlike any I'd ever seen before, but was the werewolf I'd always wanted to see. The werewolf you'd been dreaming of. The werewolf I'd been dreaming of, which looked like it, <laughs> it didn't, 
it there's no way you could look at that and think, ah, that's a guy in a rubber mask. No, <laughs> that 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 is that is an, an upright wolf, um, you know, you know, with the with the crooked legs and the the very um, wolf-like face and hands, you know, just you know, spidery talons. And you, there's no way you could look at that and think, yeah, that's a just you know. You know, like a Scooby-Doo episode where they pull off the mask and it's Old Man Marston or something. But no, <laughs> that 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 is a werewolf. <laughs> yeah, it, it's almost like the Batman, and then he had his a nemesis of his, a friend of his slash nemesis named Man Bat, right? Yeah, yeah Man Bat, very much yeah. in that same era. Yeah, one is uh, more bat than man, and the other one is more man than bat. I don't know if I got it right, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. And when I saw that, I, I was completely sold. I said, "Yeah, I want to." You know, so I started picking up Swamp Thing. And then after that, they had the, I think the issue or two after that, it was Batman meets Swamp Thing, and that was just yep. you know, I completely ate ate all that up. And I'd been and I've been a fan since. And then, and you know, since Swamp Thing has a rather patchy publication history. Mm-hmm. I was also a fan of Man Thing at the same time, but l- let me put that th- the character Man Thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, um, so I had a I had a, a weakness for swamp creatures being you know born and raised in in bio country, so th- those were kind of spoke to me um, because it was kind of something that I you know like a something I could recognize where I'm from, a bit of my you know my own location. You recognize the muck. Yeah, the muck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean I mean one of the first stories I ever read I can remember reading as a as a kid was in um this collection uh called It by Theodore Sturgeon, which is basically the proto the fir- the prototype for both a man thing and swamp thing. You know, you know, a story about a, a guy who drops dead in a skeleton, you know, drops dead in a river or is murdered, I forget which, and lichen grows around his, uh, and mud gr- collects around his skeleton, and it eventually comes back to life and goes in search of the person who killed him. And it's told from the perspective of the animated skeleton, which is even weirder. <laughs> but but that was, yeah, I, I remember that one uh, really making a big impression on me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so I'd, I'd always had a, a, a weakness for muck monsters. To, to put it politely, and um, uh, but then when I'd kind of fallen out of following Swamp Thing for a while because because it got re- resurrected, but then I heard that Alan Moore was going to be taking over the book, and at that time I had managed to get my hands on imported copies of Warrior Magazine. Uh, this was like in the mid eighties. Early mid eighties, um, and and basically, I was reading, you know, Miracle, you know, Marvel Man and V for Vendetta before they were ever reprinted in America in color and renamed. <laughs> so, right. so, and I really liked Alan's work, and I said, "Oh wow, if this guy's doing Swamp Thing, I got to be there for that." And that's and the, and then that I got completely sucked into that, and and I, I, I stayed a Swamp Thing fan through the you know, from then on. So when I was approached by Stuart Moore about putting up a proposal for Swamp Thing, I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> let's do this thing. 
you know, something I'd always wanted to write for comics. I didn't know which one. I kind of, part of me had always wanted to kind of write for Spider-Man, but I know that was never going to happen. But you know, getting the chance to write Swamp Thing was a was a dream come true. And and to date, I am the only woman to ever write for that series. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I was also the first woman to write Vampirella. Mm. <laughs> well, that's different. Considering she'd been around for forty five years at the time. It's kind of surprising somebody didn't get in there. Uh, but you mentioned the uh, issue, I think it's number seven, of the original run of Swamp Thing with the great Bernie Wrightson and, and Lennon and all that. The, the one with Batman. That was yeah. such a, a groundbreaking thing for me at the time. I remember when I read it, it was like revolutionary in the sense that Marvel had their horror line and DC had their horror line, right? Yeah. You had House of Mysteries and things like that. Yeah. Tomb of Dracula over at, at uh, Marvel, which was a huge influence on me. Tomb of Dracula is just amazing. Just fantastic. But so you had these characters and they were like set apart from the superheroes. Unless they were being villains. Yes, yes. Uh, very true. But when they brought Batman into the world of Swamp Thing it kind of changed the game in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Well, it, it, what was important for me with, with that issue with, with Batman and Swamp Thing was that Batman was drawn. He looked scary. Mm-hmm. He looked scary in that, but you know, you could see why he would, you know, scare the crap out of villains and out of criminals. And, and you've got to understand that this was, you know, kicking, kicking away from the 1960s Batman mm-hmm. uh, TV show feel, which was yes. still, you know, still kind of loomed large at that time. Um, and probably less than five years since that TV show had been canceled. Yeah. And so to have, uh, I, I think it was Bernie, both Bernie and, and, and Mike Kaluta yes. around the same time illustrated, um, Batman is looking kind of, you know, menacing. Mm-hmm. And that may be the start of him really, truly being the Dark Knight that he's evolved into since. I just know that it it was uh, groundbreaking because you saw not only Batman in a different light, but the Swamp Thing also in a different oh, yeah. light. Because oh, yeah. they were literally bringing two worlds together in a sense, even though it was the same universe. You just never thought about, you never thought that this would be possible, right? Yeah. And so that was a bit of world building for the Swamp Thing character. Well, it was, it was, it was an attempt to, it was a commitment on DC's part to, to make Swamp Thing part of the larger DC universe. Mm-hmm. And they've never, and because of that, and that's basically he's always been a part of the DC universe because of that decision. Yes, and uh, and and so he is like of all you know, is, and it was kind of like an interesting decision for them to also make him part of the, you know like the flagship Vertigo imprint because of that because that tied Vertigo to a certain extent into the DC universe as well, while making it separate at the same time. Yeah, and then I say Vertigo will you know rest in peace, but there there you go. But yeah, I was there for the Vertigo launch. Yes. For many people, they may not 
know much about Swamp Thing. Uh, it may ha- be a TV show that is currently airing on the CW Network or on DC Direct. Yeah. They may know it as a movie that came out in the early yeah. 80s, right? Or Line of Toys. Yes, or Line of Toys, or it may be part of the DC Extended Universe, cartoons, all sorts of things. But this comic book has continued to grow and grow and not only grow but become a very important touchstone in the history of comic books and we have talked about alan moore and for people who don't realize who alan moore is he's kind of responsible in many ways for a lot of what we have in entertainment in the sense that he set a tone in which comic books became quote-unquote more serious, but he looked at them in a more realistic way, and I'm putting air quotes around realistic. Mature. Yes. But the thing is, is that I don't think that he meant that every comic should be written this way. Oh, no, no. Yeah, but it's like there are people who literally changed this industry in the 80s, and Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' work and Frank Miller and so on and so forth and so many I could mention. Mike Mignola. Yes, fantastic. Frank Miller. Amazing. Yeah, uh, Alan's take on comics was like, basically it was deconstructing and postmodernism. Basically what, taking, thinking about what would the reality of Swamp Thing be in a real world? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and and then extrapolating from that, and that's how most of 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 Alan's best work is. Is you've got these outlandish, over you know, weirdly powered creatures. How would they actually function with humans? And most of the time, it's pretty damn horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and but looking at how how they would relate to one another, how they would relate to mankind, just because they're Superheroes doesn't separate them from having the same kind of wants and desires and fears as any other human being would have. And I've always admired Alan's work. He and I used to talk quite a bit on the phone, uh, usually about uh, from hell. And we're both ripperologists. And for people who don't know what a ripperologist is, it's the study of Jack the Ripper. Yes, of Jack the Ripper. <laughs> the first, ser- the first modern serial killer. I had been a history major, and one of my areas of study had been Victorian England, and and uh, especially the uh, the late Victorian era. So we'd sit and you know we'd talk about that, and and I, I really admired his. You know, he's he's an amazing researcher. Uh, you know, he's done some amazing research, and uh, incorporated it into his work. People have asked me, well, what? How do you write comics? And I said, well, there's no wrong way or right way to write comics, but one thing I will tell people, it never, ever try to learn how to write comics by studying Alan's original scripts. <laughs> because there's only one person who can write like Alan Moore, and that's Alan. <laughs> so don't try and copy him, especially that the way he, 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 he structures his comic, his scripts, because you have to bear in mind that your scripts are, are, are between you and your, and your artist. As opposed to seeing the final print, uh, final work, you're yeah, you're yeah, you need to be you need to be talking to your artist and not your potential readers. Right. Basically, keep it as Alan's 
comic book scripts were kind of like, you know, studying the Bible and how to write narrative prose. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you can get a lot of good ideas from it, but, you know, I wouldn't, re- I don't recommend imitating it exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and the other problem was with, especially, well, between Frank Miller and Alan, uh, the, the grim and gritty stuff that emerged 30 years ago, people wanted to be, they wanted to, like, do the same thing that Alan did, like, with Watchmen and V for Vendetta and Swamp Thing and what Frank was doing with uh, The Dark Knight Returns and Daredevil. But they, to be frank, most of them lacked the talent. So instead of of actually understanding what made these stories work, what truly made them unique, they just imitated the the uh, the style. The, the the exterior and not the interior, not the workings, but the exterior gloss. And so we got um, 30 years of grim and gritty and pe- women being shoved in refrigerators and doing things to shock without purpose. Yeah, yeah, shock without purpose. I've always equated it to this, that uh, a surgeon knows exactly what he's doing and is very methodical and only cuts when he needs to. The butcher just cuts f- by the pound. And there are some writers and artists who are surgeons and others that are butchers. And <laughs> that's up to the public to decide who is what, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's some good butchers out there. You get a good, you know, there are some good, you know, you know a butcher has his place. Right. But it's not in the operating theater. <laughs> so, but the, um, most of the, most of it was like, didn't understand how to work actually coming up with characters and characterizations and insights into characters is hard. <laughs> so we'll just imitate, you know, we'll just imitate the, you know, the violence and the, and the grimness and the grittiness and, and we'll just replicate that. And, and that's finally coming to its end. As far as I can tell, we're finally seeing the, the end of the grim and gritty. Let's hope. It's something that I learned by teaching art at one point. Uh, I was teaching some students at a local library a class on drawing superhero comics, believe it or not. We would do, like, drawing real life, drawing this, and then it was drawing comic books, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody that came could draw the guy in the suit. They could draw the laser gun and planets and things like that, but they couldn't draw an ashtray, a coffee cup, a man sitting in a chair someone reading a newspaper they only could do the hyper super stuff they couldn't exp- or do anything besides that grimacing yeah the grit the the, the image 90s the constipated hero the, the 1990s image hero grimace uh <laughs> with more teeth than you can actually have in your mouth <laughs> you know you and i should copyright that as a character the constipated hero we could oh, yeah there's yep. a million dollar idea in there, so. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things about Swamp Thing that kind of always set it apart is uh, this phrase that has always kind of come back to me: the sins of the fathers. Right? It seems like uh, whether it's which origin of Swamp Thing you follow, and they've been consolidated, but it, you've had varying different origins, and it usually comes back to wicked things done in the past that keep haunting us right and alan moore really ran with that like he did things about the native americans and lycanthropy and how women were treated and so on and so forth and he created some amazing characters and you 
came in as the first woman to write the book, you were given some objectives. Would you like to talk about some of the uh, coming in, you have to do this, and leaving it, you have to do that? Well, coming in, all they wanted from me was basically ask if I could give it some local flavor, punch up some of the local flavor, because I was living in New Orleans at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my strong suit. And uh, and so I did that, and I had, amongst other things, Swamp Thing gets accidentally run for governor as a joke. You, get, you know, he, he gets run for governor. That, and that was the one that was, that was nominated for the Eisner, those stories, as, as Swamp Thing being nominated uh, as the governor of Louisiana as a joke, and he actually makes the primary. You know, wins the primary. <laughs> because no one else... <laughs> And, and and so people are like trying to get into the into the bayou to interview him for his political opinions. Well, that's absurd because there's no monsters that could ever run for political office in America. Oh no, especially since his his one of his opponents his, uh, was a guy named Ben Barron, whose motto was "Make America Great Again." And this was how long ago? Oh, this was like ninety one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry, folks. And, <laughs> and as it is, that was a that was my my inspiration for that was uh, the fact that David Duke was running for the governor of Louisiana at the time. Yeah, he was on the Republican ticket, and he was running against the the you know, the more standard Republican. And and at the time I was writing it, I thought, what would be the stupidest thing that could happen? Oh, he, uh, Duke could actually win, you know, win the win the primary. And so I'll do that with Swamp Thing. And lo and behold, by the time Swamp Thing was published, you know, yeah, Duke had won the primary and was running for governor against the uh, the incumbent um, Democrat governor. Truly frightening stuff. It was absolute crook, but he wasn't David Duke. Right. <laughs> which, was, which was Edward Edwards. Later, he ended. He did end up going to to jail for like corruption, but. Uh-huh. At least he wasn't Duke. <laughs> right. And when the, when the comic came out, that was during the election time, just before the election, and I got brought on to like a couple of like political talk radio shows because, and they were asking me, well, how could you foresee this? And you know, how are you so pre-? They thought maybe I had some like time. I'm just, I, and I went, no, I was just thinking, what would be the stupidest thing people could do? And they just didn't want to hear that. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I don't have any real insight except, you know, you know, let's see what's the stupidest thing you could do. And, um, uh, but yeah, I, uh, you know, Swamp, yeah, Swamp Thing ends up being run for governor and, but he, he bows out and he probably would have been elected from the looks of it. <laughs> but, um, and, but yeah, that was the, that the, uh, those two issues, um, were in total uh, nominated for uh, an Eisner that year. Yeah, that was my that was my Eisner nomination. I, I did win, but I did get to but because I was on the Eisner ballot, I got flown out to uh, San Diego gratis and put up and you know got to meet Jack Kirby and all that and 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 Will Eisner. So uh, I benefited from that. <laughs> it was great. You know, Will Will became a friend and a mentor. Fantastic. Uh, he was such a he was a true gentleman, and uh, uh, miss him dearly. So and, and Jack was 
Jack was uh, Jack was Jack. I mean, uh, I didn't really have anything to say to him except, oh, big fan of yours. <laughs> so, what can you say to Jack Kirby? Well, he was he, that was the year before he died. Yeah, yeah. So he was, yeah. So I, I but Will was very Will was very uh, accommodating and friendly and wanted to talk to me and I, I think in his mind it was important that he reach out to you know be open to someone like me as a female, you know, because I'm, you know, one of the few women that was actually writing in comics at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was a good man. He was a good man. Now let's, let's give a quick rundown. What are Swamp Thing's powers? Because that's one of the things that people want to know, you know, oh God, that's... what are Swamp Thing's powers? Because they're not, it's kind of hard to get a drawn, right? They, well, they change every now and again. Mm-hmm. And, when he first cr- was created, he was just strong, and you couldn't kill him because he was made out of muck. Yeah, you could hit him with a baseball bat or shoot him, and it would just go through him. No big deal. Yeah, and he could regenerate. Yeah, he could. Re- yeah, he could regrow. If he chopped off a limb, he could regrow a limb. I- I'm assuming if he chopped over his head, he'd just regrow his body out of it. Mm-hmm. And but he was mostly just strong. And then with Alan Moore. He began controlling the vegetation around him. He could control vegetation. He could manifest himself through different kinds of vegetation. He could travel through vegetation throughout the world instantaneously. Um, He could uh, synthesize any kind of natural poison or toxin or or medicine that that can be extrapolated from plants on this planet. Um, uh, he, you know, he could do things like make the, the gut flora in your stomach over, uh, grows to the point where it explodes your body. Uh-huh. He could make, you know, or have it crawling out of your nose and your ears. We've even seen him, uh, basically when forced to show his strength, basically he's, he was like an ecological warrior, right? Yeah. Well, he was, he was an earth god. Yeah, so he became an Earth God at some point. So there's into the green, right? Uh, that was kind of the, the thing. He would go into the green, which is interconnected throughout all of the world. Yeah, and he could literally just bring his hand together, and stuff would come out of the ground and crush if he wanted yeah. to. So yeah, he could control it all. Much like and 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 he was, you know, control the size of his body, the appearance of his body. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really follow him terribly much after I left the book. Mm-hmm. I know um, he's, but he's been basic. He basically is is an Earth god, a god of the a god of the a god of the Earth, and I had him at times manifesting so hugely he could be the mountains, he could be the the forest. He you know, and he was able to see things or tap into the into the green intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that covers the earth and be aware of something happening in one part of the world that he's not in. Because there's a network among all plant life. Yeah, there's a network. Yeah, and the plant life is, you know, in and of itself it may not be intelligent, but united it has some kind of basic intelligence. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he has, uh, then there's the parliament. And the spirit. Yeah, the spirit of the earth. Yes. Yeah, so there's a kind of a supernatural and natural, you know, connection with him. 
I've always thought that he was like a Zen superhero, like because everything he, you know, as as he discovered himself, you know, he realized he was no longer a man, but still with the soul of a man, if you will. Yeah. He would occasionally find that he was able to do things that was unthinkable. And but once you found the peace to find that he would reach these new levels and ways of being. Yeah, that's one of the things when I was writing something, I realized it, as I was writing it, at some point, he would stop, he, he would basically evolve past us being able to understand him, mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, his, he much like Dr. Manhattan. Yes. Uh, Dr. Manhattan eventually would just, you and I would look at a person and we would see the person, Dr. Manhattan would look at that person and see their chromosomal structure or their molecular structure. To the point where they maybe even stop being human to him. Yeah, they're, or even or individuals. You know, they're, they're part of some other thing. And Swamp Thing, oh, I won't credit DC Editorial with having this understanding of Swamp Thing so much. But at, on my second year, I was told that whatever I did, they didn't care what I did as long as by the end of it, Swamp Thing no longer had a wife or child. Mm-hmm. And I was told you know, I could kill him if I wanted to, which was very, uh, which I found actually offensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because by that point, I had put a lot of effort into turning Swamp Thing's daughter Tefe into a into a believable child. And I, you know, we're talking like a toddler, like a two year old, mm-hmm. and I could not bring myself to do that. And certainly, and also by that point, Alan had already killed Abby once. Right. And sent Swamp Thing to hell to bring her back. Mm-hmm. We already done the... The, um, the uh, death of the character thing. Yeah, yeah, the death of the character thing. And for people that don't understand, I want to set this up a little bit, because I don't want them to lose what you're saying. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that maybe have never read this, but... Especially since I think Tefe is no longer in continuity in Swamp Thing now. Right. But Swamp Thing started out as a man, Alec Holland, and he was murdered and he came back. Then he found out that when he was in the swamp, what would you call it, gestating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Transmogrifying. <laughs> yes. His, his dead corpse, it was trapped with his spirit still in it and he came alive, but... What he didn't find out for many years is that the green, which is the consciousness of plant life on the on Earth, right? Yeah, the world. Yeah, it actually stayed with him and recreated him. Yeah, it used it used Alec Holland as a template to build a new guardian of the green. Yeah, and this and this this evolved over time, and at some point he was in love as a man. Or, or a man who thought he was a man. Right, but, but before he had knew this woman early on, right? Yeah. He knew Abby early on. And then later, he reveals himself to her that I am the person you fell in love with, or at least my spirit is, and, you know. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Dr. Manhattan. He is almost the opposite of him, to where Dr. Manhattan will see things on a molecular level to where someone's not human, Alec Holland sees the value of life everywhere. Yes. 
Yeah. That's like a juxtaposition of the two. Well, it's because he's clung to his humanity. Exactly, exactly. It, much in the same way Superman has, right? Yeah. His, his, his humanity is very important to Swamp Thing, and it keeps him anchored in reality and in, in, in morality. So by thinking he's he was a human for all the all that time until discovering no, I was I'm a vegetable that was based off of a human. Mm-hmm. That changed. Um, that brought a dark night of the soul for him you know, in many ways. Mm-hmm. So that self realization. But then he came to the understanding also that he was a god. And or or a godling, and. Uh, and what and what helped helped most of all was that his love interest Abby, um, Abby um, Arcane later Cable because she married a, a married ma- married a man a human she accepted him for what he was mm-hmm. she accepted him when when he first he was a monster and then she accepted him when he was when she realized he was something beyond even Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the basis of their relationship, was that acceptance. And they went on to try and create a family. They became married. They never were married legally, but they became husband and wife. Right. They they united as a couple. And you yeah. really zoomed in on uh, Alec or Swamp Thing's personality in his heart, right? And yeah, the family man. <laughs> yeah, he actually became a family man. So under your run, which has all the touchstones of horror and supernatural and all that stuff, but he went from being a lonely soul to finding his soulmate in Abby, and they had a child named Tefe. So there's that. So along your run, they have this family unit that he would do anything to protect. And you were told by editorial that by the end of your run... That has to be no more. It, it can't continue. Yes. Yes. And so I made the decision, rather than have some villain come in and have him swearing, oh, they killed my baby, they killed my wife, I was going to have him fuck up his marriage. <laughs> so instead of finding his wife dead in a refrigerator, which that became the thing in the yeah. 90s, believe it or not, folks, that's a thing. Yeah. Gail Simone's an old friend of mine. Yeah, with the with the fridging stuff. Yeah, should we explain that for Muggles for oh. people that aren't big comic fans? Yeah, well, what was it? Was it Flash? Green. It was Green Lantern. Green Lantern. Okay. Yeah, there, there was a to show how grim and gritty and how little women were were female characters were valued in comics. Basically, a wife, a girlfriend, a child, all they were good for was being killed in order to give the hero something to be upset about and that was in the episode of green lantern where he came home and found his wife murdered and stuffed in a refrigerator and it was it was such a betrayal to the tone of the book but because we were in yeah. this grim and gritty culture in the comic t- yeah. at the time it, it became big it, and killing your killing a a, a a wife was being called fridged yeah a significant other is someone that you cared about you know, you know, they fridged so and so. They fridged a poor, elongated man's wife. Yeah, Sue Dibney. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because, see, I know the names of these people. I care about these people, and to see a character that you've loved for forty years get whacked for nothing is—it's absurd, you know. And then you see, and make it even worse, then they'll bring them back in a couple of years. And yeah. Make- 
completely pointless suffering. It's like torturing a character for no earthly reason. Um, and that's kind of what they wanted me to do to Swamp Thing, was just make him miserable. You know, I lost my wife, I lost my child. And so, yeah, he lost his wife and he lost his child, but he lost him like everyone else does by fucking up. Right. <laughs> and, and basically had him, you know, just screw, he screwed up his marriage. And I got so much hate mail for that. Because it's one thing to kill somebody in comics, because as we all know in comics, death is not permanent. And, I mean, but divorce, on the other hand, you know, you and I have never experienced death in the first person. We don't know what happens after you die. Most Americans, at some point or another, have experienced divorce, either themselves or through their parents, and they know there ain't no coming back from that. Yeah, you definitely change forever. Yeah, so basically when I was heading out the door on Swamp Thing, I did the writer's equivalent of doing a Pete Townsend windmill and smashing that guitar right on, right on top of the fender. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, okay, wang, yeah, follow that. Yep. <laughs> and walk off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me see if I'm summing this up right. You had... Uh, basically someone who came on as uh, an earth spirit nanny yes that wound up having an affair with swamp thing right yes and and it was weird and, and what I always found interesting was the interpretation of oh she's evil because she no no she's not evil she's just there mm-hmm. <laughs> she was she came there out of genuine goodness of her own self to try and raise help raise the child and she was never really Swamp Thing had already screwed up his marriage by the time she and he had their you know had their sexual interlude. Their union, yeah. Lady Jane was a rebound, so she wasn't the reason. No, for the breakup, they had already he had already screwed everything up. Yeah, he'd already screwed everything up by promising Abby that he would never leave her and the baby alone again. You know, because this was right after they'd been attacked yet again by her undead uncle, uh, Anton Arcane. And for those who don't know, Anton Arcane is sort of like the Batman's Joker to Swamp Thing. He is the nemesis. He is the main villain for Swamp Thing. The Yeah. The dirty penny that keeps showing up, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's a thorn in Swamp Thing's side. And this was a big betrayal because he promised that he would not leave his family alone, and this is when the villain struck, right? Yeah, kind of like, yeah, promise me you'll never leave us alone, and you'll and, and so we'll always be protected, and he promises that he'll never leave, him or lo- leave her alone uh, and leave her and the family un- unprotected, and then what he, and then he's almost immediately has to go and deal with something, so he clones himself and leaves basically a empty suit behind, you know, you know, one of his suits because he can grow different bodies. He has enough of his own self in that thing for it to at least pretend to function to be him. It's kind of like artificial intelligence, like yeah. in a video game. When you're playing a video game, a character walks around and asks you questions. Yeah. There was enough there, but not the real essence of him was there. At first, but what he didn't, what, what Swamp Thing didn't really understand is when he did that, he left 
a bit of the bit of himself that cared about his wife and child in there. Mm -hmm. And he left and but he left the part of him that he actually cared about his family behind. He didn't understand that that is what he had done. Lady Jane kind of understood it because she realized that's not him in there, I think. <laughs> and, and but he he basically cloned himself and the clone when he came back did not want to surrender that wife and child. Because he was, you know, I was I'm here to take care of them and as far as I'm concerned concerned you don't have their best interests at heart. Mhm. Mm so he basically had to fight himself to reclaim his family and and Abby this whole time did not realize that that wasn't really him and she was having sex with him and everything. Wow. And he was being like super attentive to her and being the best husband you could ever hope for. So she's in this relationship that she thinks is finally clicking and coming together and it turns out he's not there at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, kind of like Dr. Manhattan with, you know, like yeah. she goes, wait, there's six or seven of you here. Where's, where's the real you? Yeah, which one's the real you? <laughs> and, and no, the real him is in the other room doing experiments. You know, so basically Swamp Thing was off saving the world. And she was there with what she thought was her husband, but he wasn't really there. But he was kind of. And as Swamp Thing explains to Chester, Chester asks, I don't know what you did. To make her cry like that, you know, Chester and his friend, his human friend Chester, who's also Abby's friend, she runs off to stay with Chester for a while when she, because all of this has gone down, and she's, I don't know what you did to make her cry like that, and and Swamp Thing's response was, I betrayed her with myself, uh -huh. and yeah, there's no way you could really, and Alan, um, when all this was going down, uh, Alan gave me a call and said. Uh, and said that he approved of my decision to end their marriage because he said no woman in her right mind would stay in something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, at that point, too, the, the parliament had uh, made a point to try and reclaim Tefe. Mm -hmm. And so basically, Abigail, Ab I had Abby basically have a nervous breakdown. Mm -hmm. And she left Swamp Thing and her child because... It was it was being made very clear to her that as a human she had no place in that family. And it's weird because there's the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child, right? Yes. On one hand you had this very human woman who's in love with the man who is also part of the green and a plant, you know, for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Lady Jane, who is a swamp spirit, who becomes like a nanny yeah. to the couple. Who died trying to save her own children. Yes, yes. And she's more... It, it's weird because the two different women are tied to different sides of the swamp thing. Well... Abby is, is woman. Lady Jane, at this point, is more plan, if you will. Yeah. But she, she, her decision to go back to the Parliament was because she was falling in love with Swamp Thing, and she knew if she stayed with him, she would endanger everything. Right. And, right. and basically, the, the, the whole point behind the, that issue, cross-pollination, it, it uh, can be summed up in one panel, which is like he, where Swamp Thing realizes that he is, he is having, making love to his own kind for the first time in his life. 
but you kind of took everything that Alan Moore did and extrapolated on it and made him a real character in the sense on a whole nother level by giving him a family. Yes. I made him a family man. I gave him a sense of place, a sense of community, and then took it away from him. And uh, the thing is with Alan, Alan, the Lady Jane was extrapolated from a conversation I had with Alan, who originally told me the original ending for his run on Swamp Thing was to have Abby die almost identically to the way Alec did mm-hmm. and run it catch fire, jump into the swamp, and then reemerge as a female elemental, and that they would be hap- go off and live happily after get- ever after in the swamp. So, and when he told me that, I started thinking, I said, well, you know, I need to create a female elemental <laughs> for, for my run, as, uh, you know, seeing how I'm, you know, the, the first woman to be on this book, and I made the decision to create Lady Jane then. But you know when you take a comic book character over that it's an unwritten rule that there can be no uh, happy ending. Oh yeah, there can be no ending. Yeah. Yeah, that that that, that that's the that's the problem. There's never an, there, there can never be an end to you know comic books are eternal soap operas in that regard. It's always something going on. Mm-hmm. So. You've now seen the character continue to blossom and grow. See what I did there? Blossom, grow. Uh-huh. Yes. Are you surprised at his continuing popularity? No, because I think he's a basic trope. Uh, Swamp Thing is a very much uh, taps into a basic trope in human in storytelling, which is the 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 mis- misunderstood monster, much much like Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. People judging him from his, by his hideous exterior not the not the heart so he kind of combines both the frankenstein monster and beauty and the beast you know the prince that's within the the monster's skin uh-huh. and that that appeals to to us on a certain level and so so no i'm not surprised that he continues onward especially he you know I would love to see, you know, the, the most recent uh, interpretation being the streaming series which unfortunately came to a an abbreviate an abrupt end, but um, CW is picking that up and and to air it uh, on broadcast. So who knows? Maybe that will resurrect interest in doing another series with him. And I know he's. I think he's popping up in the Justice League Dark now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to uh, uh, Matt Ryan mm-hmm. uh, a couple of months ago, uh, who plays Constantine. And they they were talking about he said that before they were canceling all you know before Swamp Thing got canceled Constantine would appear was going to be appearing in in Swamp Thing so uh, at, at least as a in um kind of like a cameo appearances mm-hmm. and then the idea was eventually have Swamp do a live action Justice League Dark but you know God knows what what those plans are now since everything you know came a cropper on that one right I'm I just want to do a sidebar here. Matt Ryan is Constantine. Amazing. Yes. Yes. And he is a sweetheart. <laughs> it, it's very rare that that teaming can come up where a character and an actor or actress is so perfect. The only way it could be more perfect is if we went back in time and got Sting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I remember when I was reading those issues of Swamp Thing, I'm like, is that supposed to be Sting? That looks a lot like Sting. I think oh, that's yeah. Sting, you know. Yeah, that's Sting. That Not just Sting, but it's Sting's character from a movie called Brimstone and Trickle. Yes. Look it up. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. So your Swamp Thing dealt with a few things. Not only did he become a family man and his home life, right? We we dealt with that, but you dealt with elemental gods, ghost pirates, spectral Zydeco players, buried treasures, masquerade balls, racist barons, snake-toning homicidal evangelists, brief tryout for the governor of Louisiana, Mardi Gras, and you, you made the geographical setting a significant part of the story, almost like it was a character unto itself. Yes. Yep. Setting is character often times in writing mm. and um uh and louisiana uh, since i was living in louisiana during most of that I, I moved to new york halfway through the run but but you know i i, I lived in new orleans for 10 years up to that point and um so i just basically threw in a lot of what i knew including uh, uh some of my friends were environmentalists uh who were fighting against the uh corruption of the wet wetlands um uh, and uh in, in Louisiana, uh, uh, I'd gone to Mardi Gras more sh- more times than <laughs> than is probably healthy, and um, you know, but basically I, I tried to give it a uh, verisimilitude, you know, the feel of truth, veracity, mm-hmm. a sense of you know anchor it in a in a place and a time. Well, it was so realistic to me because as somebody who's went through a divorce, I loved that after he had the affair with uh, Lady Jane uh, and the bizarre sexual relationship that they had, uh, when he was like, realized he was getting his divorce, he just kind of gave two fucks and just gave up (laughs) and he let his hair grow long and he just, (laughs) he was going through a midlife crisis. Yeah. To the point where even Lady Jane bails on him. You know, it's like, you're not fun anymore swamp thing i'm out of here well his long hair that was from the earl king you know when he Mm -hmm. was recovering recovering from being nearly poisoned to death by toxic waste Mm -hmm. uh he had to be he had to basically uh be regrown by uh fairy magic i recommend getting the omnibus for the lot of of you who are reading this (laughs) listening to this he could no longer get in get into the green to travel he was so polluted He's unrecognizable to the green. Well, it was almost like he needed Viagra to get back to the green. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He couldn't travel anymore. Um, he, so he had to walk. So he was like basically rotting apart from all this toxic waste. And, 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 and those issues are like complete and utter body horror. If, you know, if, you know, if he was a human, it would be all impossible to, to look at. Um but he's um, uh, basically just falling apart until he stumbles across these hillbilly elves up in the Appalachians <laughs> who had been there for a couple of hundred years. Their, their people follow, came to America to get away from persecution and uh, had been living up in, you know, in seclusion up in, the, up in the Appalachians, which is uh, a tribute to this, uh, these stories by a science fiction writer named Zena Henderson, who I was – who was a science fiction writer for young adults back in the um, 60s and 70s. And she created a series of stories called The People, 
which were about aliens. You know, these hillbillies who could who could levitate and 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 had telekinesis and and could heal people with laying on their hands and were clairvoyant and 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 telepathic. Well, people thought they were witches, but no, they were actually from another planet. And they'd, their their spaceship had got had crashed in the Appalachians, and they couldn't get home. And and for generations, they've their descendants have been living up in the hills. And but people just thought they were witches. And the, and those were like some of my uh, real some of my favorite stories when I was a kid. And and this was my attempt to to do a, a tribute to those. Except in this case, yeah, they really are <laughs> they really are fairy folk and. Um, and they recognize Swamp Thing as the Earl King, mm. and and their and it's they do and it's their duty to rescue him, and and they use their magic to build, basically give, give him a body cast, mm-hmm. uh, which is more instead of like the soft mossy body, it's more like cypress and oak to because he's so mushy, and they grow a hard shell around him, and that's where the the long hair, which is like briars emerges from and um so he's kind of like in a warrior he's he's like wearing armor Mm -hmm. like a viking the al viking or a druid prince or Mm -hmm. something he's he's protected uh but the but uh swamp things uh long hair those dreads i put uh, the vine like dreads i put on him that was a direct result of me going to the i was living in new york at the time on the lower east side and I went to the grocery store around the corner from me, and 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 I was standing in the line, and suddenly I realized I was standing behind Lenny Kravitz, mm. uh, who at the time had dreads down to his behind, and I have to say that was one of the most at at the time he was one of the most physically perfect and physically beautiful men I'd ever actually stood next to, <laughs> and so I was just like you know like my jaw was hanging. <laughs> Like, you know, just taking it in, and I thought, yeah, I gotta put some dreads on Swamp Thing because <laughs> he he had the, the say what you will about Swamp Thing, he's always been cut. Mm-hmm. I mean, ever well, since the very beginning, he's had broad shoulders and a nice tight behind. <laughs> <laughs> Swamp Thing's always had a Swamp Thing's always had a nice tuckus on him, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so you know, so I was. You know, I, I decided to, to, to use the occasion to do a slight retweak on Swamp Thing's physical appearance, uh, much much like uh, Rick Veach had done uh, a few times on his run on Swamp Thing, and, and and I really I was a big fan of Rick's run on Swamp Thing as well. Swamp Thing's had an, an incredible run as a as a character and. There's so much you can do with him, right? Yeah, and he's had he's been he's been blessed to have some some of the best creative people uh, in the business working on him. Starting with Lynn and Bernie, God rest their souls, they were both good friends of mine. Uh, they both accepted me, uh, embraced me uh, as a as a Swamp Thing creator. Uh, Marty Pasco, who recently passed away, mm. uh, was also a fine writer on that. David Micheline. Tom Mandrake, Tom Yates, uh, in terms of art, Rick Beach, uh, Steve Bissett, who and Alan. Steve's one of my best friends, uh, and of course, Alan's run on on Swamp Thing was uh, genre defining, mm-hmm. if not industry defining. Um, I, I would I I don't have any hesitation in saying he's the most 
influential writer in comics next to Stan Lee. Also, you know, Scott Eaton did an amazing job. I, I was lucky to have Tom Mandrake on my stuff. Charlie Vest did some amazing covers. Russ Braun, who's now do, been doing The Boys for the last few years. Mm-hmm. He, he's the one who drew the uh, Swamp Thing Bangs the Nanny issue that everyone remembers. <laughs> and uh, Sean McManus, uh, Jan DeSuma, Jan DeSuma, Kim DeMulder, who was the anchor on the, my entire run, mm-hmm. and Bill Josko, rest his soul, who was originally supposed to be the uh, monthly artist, you know, be the artist on the monthly book, but he suffered a uh, nervous breakdown during while doing the annual and uh, had to be replaced. And later, he was one of those people kind of fell through the cracks in our society. His mental illness got the better of him, and he passed away several years ago. Uh, got, dropped out of comics and was living in a boarding house somewhere. But you know, he 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 had a you know he was he was amazingly talented. It was just a shame to to see that happen. So, and this is one of the few things he, of his that's still out there that people can see what he what he could have could have been capable of. Is the in the omnibus he drew he drew the annual the the Swamp Thing annual that introduced the character Le Perdue. Mm. So we want to encourage folks, if you're interested in this run, get the Swamp Thing by Nancy A. Collins Omnibus. It's available on DC Comics Black Label. It is out. I'm also looking forward to a digital release. I'd love that as well for my Kindle. So You can get the individual comics yes, through Comicsology. Yes. I just like the graphic novel bundle, if you will. Well, it's, I wouldn't know. This is more like a dictionary. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's we're talking almost a thousand pages. Yeah, yeah, and there are and there's like some um, uh, extras in the back, like uh, sketches from from Russ, from Scott, from Charlie Vess, uh, uh, Ken DeMulder, some previously unpublished proposals for a uh, Vertigo Swamp Thing miniseries that I pitched to him. You know, so, so there's a little a little bit of everything in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's kind of sad in some ways because my entire my continuity was everything I did was written out of continuity at DC and all the characters and all that. So it, it it's kind of a nutshell, you know, a, a kind of a nutshell universe now. That you know, this is this is how it existed then, and there's no evidence of it now. Well, we need to explain that to the non-comic book fan. Comic book universes get reset every so often. Yes. Yes, and uh, they they have to make the characters new because Superman eternally has to be about thirty years old, right? Yeah, yeah. So they have to figure out how you know he fought during World War II and also you know was around during Watergate and so on and so forth. Yeah, well, they basically it's all that pay no attention to the man behind the curtain thing, and and every and every so often they'll just completely restructured the universe so that Superman is just now being introduced or Batman or Spider-Man. It's all being reset because Nick Fury, as I, as I explained to my boyfriend the other day, I remember when Nick Fury was white and used to fight in world war Mm two with the howling commandos. Yep. And he went, huh? (laughs) He had no clue any of that. Ever happened? He he only knew only knows Nick Fury from the uh, uh, Marvel movies. 
And this is just a way that comics try to be relevant or serve the times that they're in. Right? Yeah. 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 Because the, 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 the assumption is that every 10 years, uh, at least three, three quarters of your readership cycles out, grows right. up and disappears. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how accurate that is anymore. I don't know because comic book fans, man, we're we're like we're like classic rock fans. You know what I mean? We like what we like, and that's all that we'll accept. And there are people like I love the Justice Society of America, for example, right? But they served during World War II, so to have them running around today, you've got to involve a lot of supernatural magic and yeah, you know. Alien technology and, you know. Or you just set your stories in 1970. Yep. <laughs> That's the other thing. And the more they try to fix comics, the more they seem to break them. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically, my attitude was just ignore it. Mm-hmm. Just ignore it. That happened in the past. Just keep doing what you want to do. Use what you want from continuity and discard the rest. Because it, it, because you, you if you if you get too tied up in the in the continuity you'll find yourself hogtied mm-hmm. or, or you could just always say or just or just you know explain it away in a couple of hand ways because in the in the don't let don't let continuity get in the way of a good story past continuity you know your continuity and someone else's continuity um you know it's up to editorial to decide what parts stay and what parts get discarded anyway. So, you know, you know, you ask them, can I use this, this, and this? And they'll say, no, you can't use that, but you can use this because we don't want, we'd rather not have to deal with any of that. Okay. So, right. you know, so it's, you know, you always remember when you're, especially in, in commercial comics in America, you're playing with other people's toys. Right. So you know, what you want to do and what and what happens is another story. Uh, that's why I'm now mostly working trying to to do my own creator own stuff with my creative partner and um, artist Craig Hamilton. He got his start doing Aquaman back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. What what are you currently doing? Well, we're right now we're working on developing a original graphic series called The Adventures of Captain Finn, which is about a, a lesbian mermaid pirate captain and her crew of misfit mythological characters looking for looking for a land they can call their own while trying to escape being enslaved by the human race and exterminated by the inquisitors of the church. So it's kind of like an alternate reality fantasy pirate story. But it's also very rollicking, you know. Despite all the uh, all the threats of of of, of, be, of genocide and slavery, it, it's also written to be somewhat high ho. You know, we're we're on the merry seas. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, the 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 lead character is kind of a cross between Aquaman and Wonder Woman, if you like. So, and Captain Jack Sparrow. Well, one of the things I love about comics is there's always the text and the subtext, right? Uh, you take a look at the original run of Swamp Thing, it's almost like he was born, became a teenager, Alan Moore, made him an adult. You made him a middle-aged guy, right? <laughs> In yeah. some ways. Or, or, or man, yeah, a family man. Yeah, f- yeah, a family man, but at the end of it, he's divorced. 
and he's growing his hair out and he's trying to figure out who he is again and he needs help to even walk. <laughs> and and he lost it all because he screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I look at the adventures of Captain Finn, I believe you called it. Yeah, F-I-N-N, Captain Finn. So Captain Finn will also, in the same way, talk about what's going on currently in our society. A yes. bunch of people trying to find a way to be themselves and be left the hell alone. <laughs> yeah, without being persecuted. Yeah. And you, you've you also got your vampire character, Sonya Blue. People can yes. find that. Yes, yep. There's the, the Sonya Blue series. You know, female uh, punk vampire slash vampire slayer, Sonya Blue. I won all kinds of awards for her. And there's a, actually a graphic novel ad- adaptation uh, uh, available from IDW in hardcover. I don't know if you can get it from Amazon right now because Amazon's kind of weird. But I... Right with what they do and don't have right now because of the pandemic. And I know you can get it through Barnes and Noble uh, online and a few other places. So I, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, uh, that ping was my boyfriend reminding me that I have to come pick him up. <laughs> okay. Well, let's wrap it up. So do you want to give your socials where people can find you? Yes. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, under uh, Nancy Collins, uh, I think it's N A N C Y dot C O L L I N S, <laughs> and I'm also I have an Instagram that that I barely do anything with. I'm also on Twitter. You know, I'm I'm out and about in the world. I have you know you can find my stuff, my prose work on uh, Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com, and uh, there's a lot, a lot of it is available in ebook form. Mm-hmm. Now and I have. I'm trying to think. I think that's it. I think I've, I've kind of pared it down to Facebook, Instagram, and and Twitter. And I love how on Amazon, if they click on your name, it's got everything there. Yeah. And, oh, and I have a Wikipedia page that I did not set up, but I'm there. And um, I'm I'm uh, I'm. Oh, and there goes my. Uh, there goes my upstairs neighbor with the rototiller in his garden. That's okay. We're, <laughs> speaking of gardens, uh, check out Swamp Thing on the CW or the <laughs> DC Direct. You can also get that on Blu-ray and DVD. It's fantastic that this character is still going. He's still managing to grow and, con- and continue, although even, in, even now when everything is so up in the air in regards to comics and distribution – and I think the 100-page uh, Walmart Swamp Things now are being uh, released in digital format as well. You know, it's not lost on me that a character that is from the Earth, we've seen during the COVID thing how mankind isn't necessarily needed by nature. Yeah. You know, the the streams are becoming less polluted. The air is becoming less polluted. The hole in the ozone healed itself. Yeah, and Swamp Thing is coming back once yes, again. Yes, Swamp Thing's coming back. <laughs> right along with Mother Earth, so it's it's not lost on me. Swamp Thing's coming back. Look busy. Yeah, look busy. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for being on Pop today. I'd love to have you come back and talk about Sonia Blue because she's got a following, and I'd love to tap into those people and let them know all about that. No problem. I'd love to talk to, about, to her as well, and maybe you know any other thing that I've got going. You know, I never, I never, I've learned not to talk about what's, what I've got going out in Hollywood because sure as I do, it gets screwed up. Screwed yeah, never up. know. Yeah. Well, plus <laughs> you and I are both uh, professional pontificators, so we can always find something to talk about. 
Yeah, well, I used to be a disc jockey at one point. Yeah, me too. We got the face for radio, I do. So I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. You've been lovely, and uh, it's been really nice to get to know you as well. Same here. You take care. Have a good day. All right. Everyone listen to the next episode and say, see you, Nancy. See you, Nancy.
And that's our show. Pop is an online, nonprofit pop culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans. Any samples of music, TV, or movies heard here remain the property of their owners. Pop, a pop culture podcast, is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss. Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the pop staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever pop is found. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops. <laughs> <laughs>